0: Well, a man recalls a story. Uh, He and his wife were out and they were visiting uh, a friend. And uh, while they were visiting some people, they stayed at a friend's house who was away. So it was like a free Airbnb, basically. And um, they were having dinner with some friends. And while they were having dinner, they received a notification through another friend that uh, the house that they were staying at Was the recipient of a car in the driveway, a stolen car in the driveway that was left there by an escaped convict. Now, this escaped convict stole a car and then dumped it in that driveway and then escaped through that property. And so they said, You might want to hold off before you head back to your little home away from home. And so they said, you know, I think you mind if we stay with you guys? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, great. F- fantastic. Found another Airbnb to stay at, stay at. bed and breakfast this time, actually. So uh, what happened the next morning? They got up and they called the sheriff and said, okay, so here's the deal. This is what we hear. Uh, tell me what's going on. Tell me when it's safe so we can go stay in this home. And the sheriff said, oh, no, it's safe. You can go back now. Everything is under control now. Well, what they later learned was um, that... Uh, That man had stolen another family's car and had, I'm just going to say, done some damage to the individuals in that car. We're just going to leave it there, adults. And uh, it was not a good scene. So this guy on his phone call with the sheriff, the sheriff says, it's okay. You can go back to the home. And he says, well, I think I'd feel better about this if you guys went with me, right? So can we like meet there and check this out together? He says, sure, sure, right? So he pulls in and he gets there a few minutes after the sheriffs and the sheriff's deputies are there. And uh, the sheriff's deputies are getting out and they've got their shotguns and they're getting things loaded and they're putting their vests on and kind of buttoning everything up like that. And he noticed something that was stood out to him. Okay, so on the phone, like two hours ago, you told me, oh, no, it's fine. You can go back to the house. Everything's okay. But when you get there you're packing and you're strapped up for protection and you got your flak jacket on because you want to be really sure that it's safe, right? I mean, there's times it's good to know what the result's going to be. And then there are times when you really want to know. And that is in our series on 1 John, what... John is writing about. That's kind of what he's getting at as we move into uh, this section of 1 John. There are some things in life you want to be really sure about because there's so much writing on the end result. Your salvation is that kind of an issue. There is so much writing on the end result. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 and 23, he says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is who, who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many work, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, This is Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Last week, we were talking about how walking in the light, which means. Uh, being in the Lord, right? Which means uh, walking in the light, which means being in the Lord, brings open honest fellowship with God and with his people. And, and, and John is fighting against three things that we need to make sure that we don't deny, like some in this church we're trying to deny. These are truths that we need to embrace. We need to embrace that sin... Breaks fellowship with God. We need to embrace, secondly, that sin exists in our nature. It's not just something that we do, but it's who we are. And we need to embrace the reality that sin shows itself in our conduct. And if we sin, he concludes with, in order to not leave us in despair, he concludes with, turn to the grace of God in Jesus, confess your sins, knowing that we will be forgiven when we are genuinely repentant. You can't actually be repentant without being genuinely repentant, but It's like we talk about, well, if you're truly a Christian, well, you're the Christian, or you're not a Christian. Genuinely repent because we have an advocate who's with the father. He's the propitiation for our sins, or he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we desperately need this atoning sacrifice, but we want to make sure this pattern doesn't turn into a misunderstanding of grace and turn grace into this licentious uh, freedom. In other words, Uh, Paul addresses this in Romans 6 and in several places, actually. But, uh, well, God's grace has forgiven me so I can live like however I want. Right? We've heard some people say they're saved, but they live like the devil. And what John is drawing our attention to is, yeah, that's actually not a thing. You can't be saved and live like the devil. You can't be saved and live however you want. It bears out in your conduct, it gives evidence of who you are. So I want to ask you to uh, open your Bible or your Bible app. 1 John will be in chapter 2, verses 3 to, through 11 today. And as you're turning, this is John, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. A little pet peeve of mine. It's revela- there's one Revelation, it's not Revelations, but I digress. Uh, He's telling us we have assurance of our salvation when we keep his commands because keeping his commands reveals this increasing experiential dynamic relationship with God. Let's read together in 1 John 2, 3 through 11. And by this we know your Bible translation might uh, more accurately say now, it's a transition statement, now, now by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk In the same way in which he walked beloved, I am writing, you no new commandment, but an old one that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that which you have heard at the same time. It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever abides, I'm sorry. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and he walks in the darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Don's telling us here, we can know that we have come to know God, the father, when we keep his commands and love the body of Christ. We can know that we have come to know God the Father when we keep his commands and we love the body of Christ. This is how we have assurance of our salvation. One of the tragedies uh, and often joys of Christian ministry, pastoral ministry, serving as an elder or as a teacher that is engaged in the lives of people, whatever the case might be, is that sometimes we have conversations with people about their relationship with the Lord. And for whatever reason, uh, we get onto topics that lead to talking about where they're at in their walk with Christ. And sometimes we find this kind of funny conversation where people are kind of uh, stumbling over themselves, kind of people who don't stutter start stuttering all of a sudden. And it's sort of this interesting conversation because they're trying to tell you that they know they're a Christian, but there doesn't seem to be any trailing evidence that they are actually a Christian. There doesn't seem to be any trailing evidence that they love God and they're committed to God's ways and that they are committed to his purpose and that they've ordered their lives according to the pursuits and the priorities of the Lord. And so often what happens invariably in these conversations is they will look back. And I mean like way back. And there's a, there's a time for this, but they'll look way back. To the time that they were dunked or to the time that they were maybe sprinkled up if you grew up in a different uh, tradition, to the time that they were baptized or maybe to the time that they prayed a prayer and, and that's not wrong in fact that's the very motivation that Paul uses in Romans uh, six three and four he's saying don't you remember you're baptized into him and so he goes on talking about how being in Christ gives us all of the power that we need to uh, live a life that is sold out to trusting and loving and and following Jesus. So there is a time and a place for looking back to your salvation or to your uh, your, your baptism, the profession of your salvation as a remembrance for future faith to kind of help spur you on. But if that is because between this moment and five years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, You can't come up with anything in between. There's a problem, friends. There's a problem. Now, it's possible that people walk away from the Lord for uh, months or sometimes years. I had years in high school where I was walking away from the Lord and ushered difficulty into my own life and my friend's lives and my family's life. And God in his mercy disciplined me and brought me back to him. You ever had another kind of conversation with somebody and, and you're talking about something and they're telling you about something pretty neat. They do. We have a handful of kids in our church here, actually, that are taking Taekwondo, right? And so, um, and they're usually pretty proud about that. They've got some skills to show you for it, right? Um, but you might say something like, they'll tell you about something pretty cool that they could do, right? And what do you typically say after Like, prove it or show me, right? It might not be like, I think you're a liar. Show me. But just kind of like, oh, let me see right? And then they better be able to come up with something that they can demonstrate right then and there, right? And that's kind of how that works, right? Well, this is kind of what John is saying. But rather than say, prove it by something you can do now, he's sort of saying, prove it by showing me what we can already see. Prove it by showing me what we can already see in your life. And we see that from this verb tense in in verse 3. I know I'm getting ahead of myself right here. He gives us two tests, two ways that we can think about it. One is a moral test, and one is like a social test. The moral test we see outlined in verses 3 through 6, wholehearted obedience to Christ's commands. That's the moral test. How do you know if you're in Christ? Wholehearted obedience to His commands commands, right? So he's shifting our focus, but he's also building on what he said back in chapter one, verses five through seven, where he shows us, and we'll put this on the screen for you, that God is light and in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with One another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Brothers and sisters, fellowship with God and knowing God are two sides of the same coin. Notice this verb tense, and and by this we know that's present tense we know that we have come to know. And it's anytime, most times, you see that have come to know, or have given, or have sold, or have whatever the case might be, that usually indicates a, it's, a, it's a perfect tense. It's a continuous tense. By this, we know now that we have come to know. That means I came to know him at a point, and there is a continuous ongoing impact of that having come to known, if I said that the right way, the Lord Jesus. We sometimes say in like a simple past, Right? You 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 might say this. You might say I, I, I joined the baseball team. Right? That'd be like just a simple past tense. I joined the team. But if you say uh, I have joined the team, right? It communicates a little bit more to it. I have joined the team, or I have joined the league, or I've joined that group. And there's an active, continuing, uh, ongoing aspect to that. There are there are benefits. There are traits that are result that are a result of having come to know him. 1 John 3:24, he shows how this is evidenced in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we have come. Sorry, I got off track. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Have you ever described someone's character in a, in a, or, or, or or an incredibly wonderful personality and you are trying to describe that person to someone else and you're just trying to describe how wonderful they are or how genuine they are. And you might say something like this, to know her is to love her. I would love for you to meet my friend, To, to, to know her is to love her, right? I would love for you to meet this friend of mine, to know him is to love him. Well, that's the same thing about our relationship with Jesus. It's not just a prayer that we prayed at one point because we know we're bad and we know we should pray the the prayer. If that's what it is, there's no relational trust that happened. It's just checking the boxes. I I, I know I should do this. I'm going to do this. But there's not a love. There's not an ongoing growth or, or, or need to continue growing in who that was. When I was studying, I was reading about, um, it was kind of like one person talking about somebody else. He was talking about this, um, uh, somebody who worked for a ministry, and, and, uh, and this person said, you know what, I, I let all the other people ask the other detailed questions. I just ask one question. And he says, oh, what's that? And he says, when's the last time you wept over the realization that you are a child of God? When's the last time that you wept over the realization that you're a child of God? By this, we know that we have come to know him. This phrase, by this, we have come to know, is a phrase that happens. It's a it's a phrase John, or a, a word pair John likes to use. It's, it's by this we, and then whatever he's trying to draw out at the point. It's 14 times in First John, uh, six times in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the Gospel of John, and six times in Revelation he uses this phrase, and he's telling us that fellowship with God, which is the same as keeping God's commandments, is not. Hear this, friends. It's not the condition for how to have a relationship with God. It is the consequence of knowing God, right? Uh, And by this, we know that we, we have come to know him. The have come to know him, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Why? Well, because if you have come to know him, you want to keep his commands. And you strive to keep his commands. Now, if you're quickly scrounging through your bag of what ifs, just slow down. It's always important to ask the right question, not just to start asking questions. If you're asking, what does that mean perfectly? No. But if that's the question you're searching for, I want to challenge you to ask a different kind of question. How do I know that I have come to know the Lord? Am I keeping his commands? As a child of God, they're they're not burdensome commands. They're, They're a recognition that, oh, God's ways are perfect. And I am so far from perfect. I know that I want to strive to live in the ways that God has called me to. And I know that if I don't, I'm walking around in the darkness like a blind man. You might remember I told you a story about a speaker that I left in the hallway here. It was several years it was in my first year of ministry here. And, um, and I can sometimes I scurry around this building with all the lights off because I know the lay of the land and kind of how many steps it is to go from A to B and turn the corner, all that kind of stuff. Well, Well, let me tell you, that only works if you don't leave a speaker, one of these guys, in the hallway and you're trucking along right now if you see something coming there's a moment of hesitation like you can just start to slow down right just before you crash into it and take off some of the the brunt of that pain but no 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 i was scooting along pretty good and i jacked my knee on that thing so hard and i was trucking right through it oh man i came to a pretty screeching halt That's how circumstances in our life are sometimes when we're, 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 we're not, we're not in the Lord or we're not walking in the truth. We're not obeying his commandments. We're trucking along through life, but we're blinded by the darkness. He says later in verse, I think 11, John's arguing that some, the claim that someone can, can claim to love God and to know God and live persistently disobedient lives is a lie. They claim to know God. If it's not accompanied by obedience, it's a worthless claim. It's a worthless claim. Now, why would I say this to you? If that might be you or someone that's sitting in this room or somebody that's listening or watching to this message, why would I say that to you? Doesn't that seem unkind? Well, it does seem unkind. If my only goal is to make you feel bad, but if as it is with John, his goal is to say, I want you to know that you know that you are in Christ. And if not, parentheses, I want you to know so that you can come to him. I want you to know so that you can come to him. So that you can experience everlasting life. John in one 1 John one six, he says that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The knowledge of God, friends, is not just intellectual. It's not just a cognitive understanding of the facts. right? This is one of the reasons why, like at Vacation Bible School or in our children's ministries, we're pretty cautious not to just... uh, we, we want to we hold the gospel as uh, stewards who carry a very precious message. And I say this because we're talking about uh, kids and children for a minute. The reason we're careful about that, and I think we always have been, is this. What child would say no if you said, do you want to have a friend like God who can do everything in the world? I've heard people not here just going to be clear but i have heard people say something like don't you want to see your grandma again oh my goodness do you see how we can unintentionally even at times well meaning give a child or another adult even facts that they can agree to even do you know that you're a sinner have you ever stolen anything yes me too i'm a sinner i had some friends over for a fire the other night and most of the fire kind of burned down and we were just looking at the coals the hot coals and i just was sort of taken back for a minute i was just like man that is hot Can you imagine hell? And you're thinking immediately, I know people, if they don't repent and trust the Lord, that's their eternal destiny. Oh, brothers and sisters, God is holy. He's not just nice, He's holy. And we must repent and we must turn to him for salvation. And so must your neighbor, so must your son or your daughter or your friend or your child. But we must also be careful to see that in these conversations, we are talking with them about a holy God who has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. By loving him. By falling on his mercy. Which invokes more and more love in our lives, not just, "Oh, I want to get him to say yes, no, no." In fact, in the uh, Charles Spurgeon speaks often about times that people would would well he's just a masterful preacher, and people would come to the front and, "I want to be saved now." He would send them away and say, "You go, contemplate the cost of following Jesus." And we, we so much want conversions and we want to see people saved and we want to see the church grow. And those are good things, but not if they are according to our own uh, means of understanding, our own way of understanding. Only the Lord renews a heart, brothers and sisters. And, and that's what he tells us in, in two five. He says, uh, God's love is perfected or it's made complete in each of us. That's why our goal is to our, our vision as a church to reach and teach and live out what it means to be wholehearted followers of christ it's a matter of the head and a matter of the heart and then it plays out with our hands as we live and move and and have our being right we can't claim to abide in christ unless we behave like him john stott says what's it mean to abide in him To remain in him, to continue in him, to sit at his feet, to enjoy reading his word. That doesn't mean it's always like happy, happy, joy. There are times that I sit down with my Bible and I'm like, oh, I don't want to read the Bible right now. Yes, I'm your pastor and I feel like that sometimes. And God brings me to repentance. Do you know how he does it? Most of the time, through the Bible. I open the Bible and I start reading and I say, oh God, how sweet are your words. Oh God, how wonderful you are. I am sorry that I'm so short-sighted and selfish and just want to be about my own things. You are so good. A Christian no longer loves sin like he once did. A Christian no longer brags about his sin like he once did. A Christian no longer plans to sin as he once did. A a Christian plans for holiness. A Christian plans to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin. We remember our sin almost with tears. We remember our sin almost as though embarrassed to talk about it, yet willing to talk about it because the story is not about us. It's about him. The story is not about us. It's about what he saved me from and what he is saving me to. A Christian no longer fully enjoys sin as he once did. We might sin, we sin, we struggle with it. And even in the midst of it or even immediately after it, we just go, oh, yep. Once again, it doesn't please like I thought. Only Jesus does. The second is the social test, which is love for the body of Christ. And that's what he talks about in verses seven through 11. He says, I'm not writing you a new command. I'm kind of paraphrasing as I read this here. I'm not writing you a, a new commandment, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard at the same time. It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. So is it an old commandment or a new commandment? Yes. Yes. It's true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. It's one thing to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's another thing to love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. But he's going beyond love for neighbor here. He is particularly speaking about love in the body of Christ. He's particularly speaking about the way the ways that God has called us to lay down our lives for one another, to to come alongside one another in love in this life. To be clear, love is not equivalent to with putting up with love is not simply being cordial until you no longer are around one another. In fact, what, what, what Paul tells us in first Corinthians, what draws people in to see the beauty of the body of Christ is that people from all different walks of life and all different hobbies and all different familial statuses and all different you know, classes or whatever the case might be, come together and they're brought together and they're held together. They're glued together by the unity of the spirit. And this is the imperative of love that we read in nine through 11. We we can't say that we're in the light and hate our brother. Now you might think, well, I don't hate them. I'm just ambivalent toward them. He's getting, he's, that's what he's driving at. I haven't done anything bad to them. Well, I want to ask you, have you actively loved them? Have you actively identified ways to serve someone in the body of Christ that rubs you the wrong way? Well, I can't be in that group study. That person's in there. Oh, sounds like there's a problem. Yeah, there really is a problem. No, no, with with you. One commentator commentator, uh, says the assertion is not simply characterized as false or as revealing as a false nature. It involves the existence of a moral state, the exact opposite of that of which is claimed. The one who truly knows God and truly is in the light will obey God's commands and love his brother. You might even say obey his commands by loving his brother or his sister, but it is painted as as a both and here. If we lose love in our life for one another, we lose everything. And remember, this is in answer to, by this you may know that you are in him. By this we know that we have come to know him, that we obey his commandments and we love our brothers. I'll close with this somewhat lengthy quote from John Stott, theologian and and commentator. And he says, the light shines on our path so that we can clearly see and so walk properly. If we love people, we see how to avoid sinning against them. You see, in other words, if you say, well, I'm trying to love them, but I just can't figure out how nothing's ever good enough for them. The problem's not with them. The problem's with you and your heart. Walk in the light and the light will shine on your path so that you can walk and see clearly how to avoid sinning against the Lord and against them. The man with hatred in his heart, John Stock continues However, uh, the, the man with hatred in his heart, however, because he is in darkness and also walks in darkness, hatred distorts our perspective. We don't first misjudge people and then hate them as a result. Our view of them is already jaundiced by our hatred. And it is love which sees straight. It is love which thinks clearly. It is love which makes us balanced in our outlooks, judgments, and our conduct. And it is the love of God which he goes on to say, has been poured into our hearts through Christ Jesus. How would your test of love have worked had Jesus applied your rationale in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh Lord, if there's any other way let this cup pass from me because I know how he's going to love. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that yet. Three times. I mean, we, and I by we, I mean James and John, couldn't even stay awake. Will you pray for me? The creator of the universe. I'll try. Flesh is willing, but the body is weak. If we applied our rationale for how to love others to how Jesus chose to love us, every one of us would be doomed, which is why we worship. It is why we come and we throw up our hands and we say, God, I worship you. You are good. I know that I'm not, but I'm made good. Because I have come, I know that I have come to know him and I can walk in him. Imperfectly, yes, but that's okay because I have an advocate. His name is Jesus. And I have fellowship with him, which means I want to know him more by experientially living in the ways that he's called me to. We have an opportunity in a moment to come, and uh, again, week after week, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we we, oft, we need to be careful, because anything that we do regularly, it is easy for it to become rote. We can come in, and we can sing the songs, and we can think about uh, whether or not we like the music, or whether or not we like the way the song is being played, or we're, whether or not we hear enough people singing or whether or not, whatever the case might be, or you might think, oh, I don't really like this sermon. He didn't really get into the sermon very well. All these kinds of things. We think all these kinds of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, we need to come to this table with a sense of awe, uh, a grateful hesitancy as we are Asking the Lord to unveil our hearts as we are asking the Lord to help us become sometimes painfully aware, but when we repent, it leads to joyfully aware.